This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. The last three weeks, um, as Kevin said, we've been in this series, Horrible Advice. And uh, in the first week, he gave you some advice on how to drift away from God. We all needed that. And then uh, in the second week, how to become an addict. And then last week, uh, really how to be dissatisfied, how to be ungrateful. What a great setup going into Thanksgiving week. And today I get the privilege on speaking on how to commit adultery. So it's going to be so fun. So glad that you're here. But before we start, let me just ask you this question. How many of you in the room are currently married? Did you raise your hand? Hold them high because you're proud of it, right? All right, that's awesome. Put your hands down. How many of you, um, you're not married, but maybe you'd like to be married someday? It's okay. You can raise your hands. Now keep them up. Now just look around the room for a minute because you might make a love connection. <laughs> There's just saying it's a room full. There's a lot of y'all. Raise your hand. You want to, just saying. This is where you want to meet them, at church, right? So, okay, let me ask you another question. Whether you're married or not yet married, how many of you plan to commit adultery? <laughs> nobody? Nobody wants to raise your hand? Um, you know why? Because no one plans to commit adultery, like nobody. You, if you didn't raise your hand just then, it's probably because you agree with uh, a passage from Exodus, chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You know, the interesting thing is that 90% of the population, regardless of their religious background, whether they believe in God or not, 90% believe that adultery is always wrong. So you're in good company with them. 90%, that's a really big number. But there was a study done by the Journal of Psychology and Christianity that said that as many as 65% of men and 55% of women would commit adultery. Yeah, I heard some hushed wows. Wow. Dang. So 90% believe it's always wrong, but as much as 65% of people will commit adultery. There's a disconnect there. What is going on? How can you believe something is wrong, but still over half, there's a good chance that over half of married people will commit adultery. I believe it's because it's, it's primarily unintentional. I think you kind of slowly drift into it. And so what I'm going to do, just like Kevin's done the last three weeks, is I'm going to give you some really horrible advice. And when you hear it, you're going to go, that is the worst advice I've ever heard for marriage. But then we're going to come back at the end and we're going to counteract that with what God's word says, some really good advice. And so today I'm going to, I'm going to give you three easy steps if you want to commit adultery. Okay, so you're going to want to take notes on this in case you're out there and you're thinking, I didn't raise my hand, but I do want to commit adultery. I'm going to give you everything you need. Because the thing is, is that you, you, you kind of take baby steps into this. Maybe it starts with just, you see something on TV, um, Maybe it starts that way, or you're a little bit unsatisfied in your marriage. He's not meeting your needs. She's not meeting your needs. You've been fighting a lot. Whatever's going on, it's just not what you expected. You kind of slowly take some baby steps. You, you find yourself enjoying the company of someone else. It's innocent. It's just somebody who seems maybe they understand you a little bit better than he or she does. Um, it doesn't hurt that you find that person attractive. Um, and so you kind of look forward to seeing them, and you find that you have crossed a line and you don't realize it till after you've crossed the line. So let me give you three easy steps if you want to commit adultery. OK, 
Okay, some horrible advice. Here's the first one. Neglect your marriage. Okay? You're not writing this stuff down. Write it down. You, if you want to commit adultery, you've got to neglect your marriage. You can't put any, you, what you need to do is find something else, anything else to give your best to other than your marriage. If you want to commit adultery, you've got to neglect it. So maybe it's uh, your job. You're going to give your best there. Maybe it's a hobby. It could even be something that's really good, like, like your kids, their activities, what's going on in their life. And you could devote your best to that. And in doing so, neglect the relationship you have with your husband and your wife. Because if you want to commit adultery, you've got to neglect your marriage. You've got to. Avoid intimacy. Don't talk. Don't share. Keep secrets. If you're the kind of person that's always valued physical fitness, now's the time to let yourself go. You really got to let yourself go because <laughs> you're neglecting your marriage. Remember, because this is advice if you want to commit adultery. These are the things that you've got to do. And if you just have to have sex, keep it boring and predictable, okay? Just, okay? Because you remember, you're neglecting your marriage. So here's the second step. Enjoy common interests and form an emotional bond with someone else. This is the next step in the process if you want to commit adultery. Um, enjoy common interest and form an emotional bond. Maybe it's around a project. It's just he, he understands me. She understands me. So you connect emotionally. You start sharing all the pain that's caused from your marriage. And you just say, well, I just, uh, this is what he did. And they always seem to understand. They nod approval. Oh, I know he's the worst. She's the worst. And so you start to connect emotionally. And then you anticipate your time together. Ladies, you're going to want to dress provocatively. Maybe something a little low cut. Guys, you're going to want to suck in that gut all the time, okay? Suddenly you just look like a bodybuilder for no good reason. Just all... Every time you see them, you're anticipating. Because remember, this is, this is if you want to commit adultery. You've got to form that bond with them. So you're going to invent excuses to me. Oh, well, if I, if I wait about 10 more minutes to go to the bathroom, I'll probably pass her in the hall. Flirt. Ladies, you're going to flip your hair. Gentlemen, if you look like me, you're going to flip your baldness. <laughs> Whatever. Shoot them a text after work, a, private message on Facebook. And if you want to keep it spiritual, here's a tip. Send them a message that says, I'm like, you know, you're really on my heart. I'm praying for you, what you're going through. Because you're going to want to form that emotional connection. If you want to commit adultery, this is what you do. Here's the third step. Make excuses and rationalize your actions. Blame your spouse. This other person makes me happy. Everyone does. It's not a big deal. It's really not. He's just my work husband. She's my work wife. We're just friends. We have a similar sense of humor. We make each other laugh. It's not a big deal. It's completely innocent. It's totally innocent. <laughs> Carrie, I, I will never commit adultery. That's never going to happen to me. And everyone who has ever committed adultery was convinced that they would never cross that line. They were. So let me pause for a minute. In case you're the kind of person who doesn't pick up on sarcasm... Those three points are incredibly sarcastic. If you came in late, this isn't one of those churches, okay? I've heard about churches like this. Some sort of swinger church or something. No. That's all really horrible advice. Like if you came and said, Carrie, how can I make my marriage better? And if I told you to neglect your marriage, form a bond with somebody else, rationalize all of here, you go, well, that's terrible advice. Why would I do that? I would only do that if I wanted to commit adultery. Yeah, 
That's the thing is that none of you said, I plan to commit adultery. No one wakes up and says, I'm going to commit some adultery today. That's what I'm going to do with my day. No one does that. It is a slow drift that happens to us. And we start crossing lines and we didn't even realize that we did. So let me give you some good advice. Are you all ready for that? How about some good advice for how to make sure? Here's what I want to do is as much as possible from your side, you can't control what anyone else does, okay? But as far as you're concerned, you're going to try to adultery-proof your marriage. These are some things that you can do. So let's do this. Do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risks. 90% believe it's always wrong. As many as 55 to 65% end up committing adultery. I think those who do did not reduce the risks. They thought they were uh, immune to it. They didn't think it would ever happen to them. I'll never cross that line. But you see, when the Bible talks about sexual sin, it does it differently than every other sin. The other sins, it'll tell you to fight, to resist temptation. But with sexual sin, it tells you to flee, to run, hightail it out of there. You don't want to be anywhere near it. Here's the way a father speaking to his son gave advice about it in Proverbs 5, 8. Keep, a path, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. This is the adulterous woman. You could also make it the adulterous man, okay? You're going to want to walk on a path that is far from that. Do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risks. Because I believe that people who commit adultery, for them, the line of sin was in the wrong place. They thought, I'm never going to cross that line. The problem is, what if the line you're going by is the wrong line? And that's what it is for so many people, because this isn't just um, a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. You see, primarily in adultery, men connect sexually, phys physically, but women connect emotionally. As a woman, you can be having an emotional affair that never becomes physical. You can. That, that can totally happen to you. It starts in the eyes and in the mind and in the heart. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus moved the line dramatically. Up to that point, the line was always, well, as long as you don't actually do it, you're good. As long as you don't actually follow through. As long as you don't have, as long as you don't actually, th that's the line. But that's not the line. The line is way back. It starts in the heart. The actions that we commit, they just flow out of our heart. That's what Proverbs tells us. Everything we do, it flows out of our heart. So even though we do it, maybe we didn't intend to it, but our heart will take us that way. So Jesus said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Uh, for guys, we're, we're usually primarily visual creatures we're all guilty this morning, okay? Say, no, no, I'm incredibly faithful. My eyes never wander. Okay. Then you're the only one in the room, right? I, I remember reading a story one time, and there was these young seminary students, and they were going to go visit this old professor. He's like 85 years old. And they went to him, and they were asking a bunch of questions. And then one of them got the nerve to ask the question. They were wondering, like, what's the age where you get to where you don't look at women and, like, as attractive, lust, you know, like look at them lustfully anymore. And he said, well, I guess it's sometime after 85. Okay? But, but that's a physical thing. On an emotional thing, 
That's looking, women can be just as guilty of that. Or if you're not visually stimulated, you can have that emotional relationship too. How we interact with people. Is it a way that honors our spouse? Think of it this way. If you were going to be videoed all day under surveillance, and you probably are, there's cameras everywhere. I mean, Google's watching us right now, so let's just get that out there. But let's say that you were, and then at the end of every day, your spouse gets to watch how you interacted, everything you did. Like, is that going to honor her or him? Is she going to be proud to call you husband? Will he be proud to call you wife? Would that change the way you interact with some people? If it does, that tells you something this morning, right? It tells you something about what's going on. And right now, some of you are thinking, I'm not married. I'm off the hook. No, false. Let's say that same video is shown to your future spouse. Will they say yes when you pop the question? I don't know. If I can trust, this is the way he, this is the way she. So how do we do this? How do we radically reduce the risk? Let me quickly give you just some real practical stuff. The first thing is keep a growing relationship with Christ. Keep a growing relationship with Christ. Trust me, if you are good with Jesus, you're going to be, you're going to be able to be good with your spouse. But that's connected both ways. You've got to continue to pursue that relationship with Jesus and be strong there. Never be alone with the wrong people. And I'll let you define who the wrong people are. But I'm going to tell you this. They're the people that you're not married to and you find yourself looking forward to being with. Making all those things we talked about and the bad advice. You, don't, you need to make sure you're never alone with those people. Because you're trying to reduce the risks. Never talk bad about your spouse. It's completely unproductive. And whenever someone does that, what they're doing is they're, they're actually, they're kind of fishing for something there. They're wanting someone to go, you know what, I understand. You're right. He's the worst. You've seen people do this like on Facebook. And maybe they don't, they're not overt. It's kind of subtle. And they just kind of put this vague thing out there. And everybody's like, oh, I can't believe she said that about her husband. And you're thinking, why would you ever post that? Never talk bad about your spouse. Surround yourself with strong marriages. You want to have a strong marriage? Surround yourself with strong marriages. I'll tell you this. We are privileged to be a part of a church that's multi-generational. We're not all in our 20s or our 30s. or Like, you have, wherever you are in that time frame, Sarah and I have been married for uh, 14 years. Um, we have the opportunity to be around people who have been married for 40 years, 50 years. Okay? Surround yourself with people that have strong marriages, whether they've been married a long time, a short time. But if you look at them, you go, man, I, there's something about their relationship. It's not about comparing yourself. You want to learn. You want to be influenced by that because we are influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. If you, only, if, you, if you find yourself not having a strong marriage and you only surround yourself with people who have jacked up marriages or have lost their marriages, what do you think you're going to get? What do you think you're going to get? Surround yourself with that. Avoid all inappropriate places and situations. If you know that there's places you can go and times that you're there and it's going to be risky to your marriage, why would you go there? Do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risk. Here's the second bit of good advice I have for you this morning. Invest passionately in your marriage. Invest passionately in your marriage. Proverbs 5.18 says, May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. 
And then the, I love this. Why, son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? When God has given you a wife, be intoxicated. That word intoxicated in the Hebrew is shagah. Now, say, say that with me. You're going to love it. When the, it sounds great coming out of your mouth. Ready? Shagah. Just let that hang in the air. It means to be ravished or captivated, enraptured or consumed. Be consumed, ravished with her love, with his love. That's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you felt consumed with the love of your husband or the love of your wife? It may not have been early this morning as you were getting ready for church. I get that. But I'm going to tell you this. If it wasn't late last night, if, it has, if it's been a while, it's time for you to go back and say, oh, no, 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 I want to be intoxicated, consumed with her love. Why in the world would I want to be consumed with another man's wife? With someone other than the gift that God has given me? Why would I want to be consumed with someone other than my own husband? How do we do this? How do we, how do we invest passionately in our marriage? The first thing I'll tell you is this, get alone. You need time alone, just you and her, just you and him. You do. You need that. You've got to fight for it. You've got to do whatever it takes. If that's a date night, if that's, uh, if that's a breakfast date, whatever it is, just time where it's just the two of you. You got to fight. Say, Carrie, I can't, I can't afford the time. I can't afford the babysitter. Tr invest in your marriage. You can't afford not to. You've got to get alone. This next thing I'll tell you is get spiritual. Get spiritual. Uh, men, as husbands, God calls us to be the spiritual leaders of our families. I think that's, to me, that's a really, that's a big task. It's an honor, but it is a big task. Pray together. Now, and I'll just tell you, when it comes to the, like, praying with your spouse thing, like, I'm the worst, okay? Like, Sarah and I, we, we are the, you don't look to us as an example on that because we know we're supposed to do it, and I'm going to get up here and tell you, pray with your spouse, but I'm going to tell you this, like, we don't really do that very much, Okay? And it just always feels weird. I'm just going to be honest with you for a minute. So like we'll be in bed and about time to go to sleep and Sarah go, well, you pray for us? Because she's more spiritual than I am. And I'll go, yeah. Just like, yeah. What, what do we need to pray about? And she'll say, she'll be like, you know, the normal stuff. Kids and, you know. We need, she'll, and she'll be, I'll just think, why didn't you pray? Like, that sounded awesome. <laughs> and so I'll do it, and it just feels weird the whole time, and I just think, how long do I need to pray? Is it a, is a short prayer enough? And so, honestly, we just don't do it very much. So you should, though, okay? And, and then you need to post something online about it, and I'll see it, and I'll go, crap, I need to go pray with Sarah, okay? I need that. I need you to help me with that. Can you all do that? Because here's what happens. That is a, it's a, the reason why it's weird is because it's a intimate and vulnerable thing. That's what it is. Okay. So like men, you may be the kind of like, you don't even want to pray before, um, before the meal out loud. And you're going to pray out loud in front of your wife. That's kind of nerve wracking. What if I say something stupid? 
No one's ever gotten a divorce because they prayed stupid, okay? <laughs> Won't happen. Now, she may not ask you to pray next time. She may just say, let me pray for us, dear. And you'll go, that's fine, baby. Pray on. But it is an intimate thing. And that's really the third thing I'll tell you is to get intimate. To get intimate. And I mean that in every possible definition of that word, okay? Like you've got to share. You've got to not keep secrets. You've got to be honest. Now, if this is a new thing for your relationship, that whole getting intimate and being honest and sharing, some of you have a lot of junk and you're going to need to, you're going to need to ease some of that out, okay? Because if you open up, like they may not know how to look at you anymore, okay? And I'm going to tell you this, like that's where sometimes it's so helpful to, to go and get counseling and be able to sit down and talk and someone be able to help you work through it. There's no shame in that. You're, remember what you're trying to do? You're trying to invest in your own marriage? trying to invest passionately in it because it, it matters. But you got to get into it. you got to open up. you got to share. You got every sense of that word. you got to get naked. You've got to do that. That's, that is a healthy part of your relationship. And if that, if that part of your relationship is healthy, other parts will be too. And if other parts are, that it's all connected. But if that aspect is good, trust me, you'll be nicer to each other. You will. It's all connected. You've got to get intimate because you're trying to invest passionately in your marriage. And you may be thinking, there's no passion in this marriage anymore, Carrie. It's bone dry. The fire is out. I don't even like them anymore. I don't know. We're staying together for the kids. We're staying together for whatever reason. I don't, how do I do that? How do I pour into them? My bucket is empty. I got nothing. And you're starting to think, man, the, I think the grass is greener on the other side. And it's, a, it's an old cliche, but if the grass is greener on the other side, it's time to water your own lawn. And I don't have all the answers for this. You may, you may need to go get help, and you probably do, and there's no shame in that. But I will tell you this, some simple things you can do. Go back and do what you did at the beginning. Because God can stir the coals. He can bring back to life something that you even feel like it's dead. There's nothing left here. But, but Jesus is kind of in the resurrection business. So invest in your own marriage. Okay? Here's the third thing I'll tell you this, and this one isn't fun, but visualize the potential destruction. If you're wanting to avoid trying to adultery-proof your marriage, try to visualize the destruction that's on the other side of you crossing all of those lines. Because right now, if what you're picturing, you may be in a really tough spot in your marriage, and what you're picturing with this other person, it looks so much better than the hell you're in right now. Trust me, if you're not seeing a, a spouse that is crushed and children who can't stop crying and they've lost their faith in you, if you don't see that on their faces, you're living in a, in a dream world. That's the reality on the other side. For me, when I try to visualize that destruction, I just think, I mean, completely losing Sarah's trust forever. Having to sit down and have that conversation with my kids. I'm not doing that. I'm not going through that. I'm not putting them through that. The Bible warns us about it. Uh, again, there in Proverbs 5, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smooth and oil, or his speech. Like, it sounds so good. It looks so good. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. That, 
It looks pretty, but it's not. The, the writer of Proverbs here makes this life and death. If you think you can have a better life on the other side, all you're going to experience is death and destruction. And this isn't a scare tactic. This is just the truth. That's what's waiting on the other side. You see, we think that what we can get will be better than what we have. But I'm going to tell you this, never sacrifice what you want the most for what you want in the moment. My dad's a retired preacher, and he always said it this way, never sacrifice your future on the altar of the immediate. Whatever difficulty you're in now, trust me, don't double down on it. You will only experience more pain, more difficulty. Don't sacrifice that. For some of you who you're still unconvinced, let me give you some stats. So what percentage of people actually marry their forbidden lover, the one they cheat with? It's 3%. That's a pretty low number. How about this? What percentage of those marriages end in divorce? 75%. That means that if you are going to leave your current marriage for someone else, you've got about a 0.075% chance of having a happy, successful marriage. That's like, that's terrible odds in case you're not good at this math thing, like me. I had to ask someone, I said, is that bad? They said, it's terrible. I said, okay, good. That's not worth the risk, is it? It's not. Because you're going to have a relationship that's based on lies and deceit. Now, there's some in the room, and you've been on the receiving end of this. You've been hurt. Someone cheated on you. Like that's very real. Um, I told Kevin before this service, I said, as I think about this, I think there's probably somebody in the room and they've, they're drifting toward this. They've been following some of this bad advice and that's, this is a tough message. But I think about those who've, you've, you've been on the receiving end. It's not something that you wanted. And it's so painful. And I think if you're on the receiving end, you would probably be echoing what I say, what the Bible says in this. You'd be saying, yeah, yeah, invest in your marriage. Reduce the risk. Do whatever it takes. It's not, it, the pain is, it's so real. Just know this, that we grieve with you and God grieves with you. But you may also be in the room and you're right in the middle of this. Like you're actively committing adultery. You're in that kind of relationship. And you may be realizing, going, what do I, how do I, what do I do? How do I get out of this? The damage is already done. I'm going to tell you this. God can always repair what the enemy seeks to destroy. He can. I mean, yes, um, adultery is biblically, it's, it's grounds for divorce, but it's also, it's grounds for forgiveness. You say, I don't deserve forgiveness. Well, of course you don't. It wouldn't be forgiveness if you deserved it. That's how it works. And God, today, God would call us, whether we're, say, Carrie, I've, uh, that's not for me. I've never crossed that line. But you've been crossing some of these other lines. You heard some of that stuff and go, you know what? I, I didn't realize it, but I do kind of have that emotional connection there. I thought it was innocent. And at this point, it, it might be, but I'm going to tell you this. It won't stay that way. It'll pull you away, and it will be anything but innocent. It'll be deadly, destructive. But there's good news. Okay, guys, there's good news because even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful. He promises it word for word in 2 Timothy 2. If we are faithless, God will remain faithful. 
You see, I can look at all this. I can look at this bad advice and I can say I've been married 14 years and I have not been completely faithful. I mean, yeah, no, I've never crossed that line. And a lot of, most of you would say, well, no, I've never crossed the line. But in my heart, with my eyes, have I been completely faithful? No, but my God has been. And today he would call us, wherever we land on this spectrum, he would call us to repentance and to experience forgiveness. That's what he would do. So that's where we're going to land this thing today. Let's take a moment and respond because today, if you're married in the room, God is calling you he's saying, hey, listen, you probably haven't been completely faithful. Today is the day. Repent and turn from it. Man, say, you know what, Carrie? You're right. I'm going to do what I got to do to reduce the risks. And I'm going to start investing in my marriage. I'm going to start watering my own lawn. I'm going to trust God to, to heal what's been broken, to make it new. Because that's what God wants. He wants to see strong marriages. That, that's what we want as as your church, as your pastors, we want your marriages to be strong and to be healthy. We want to see you being able to have the opportunity to have longevity and be able to look back years from now and, say, and see young couples getting married and going, hey, listen, it, it may not always be easy, but it is worth it to do what it takes, to do whatever it takes, to avoid drifting into that because God has something so much better waiting for you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.